Um, we launched a series last week called Civil War, with uh, air quoting the word civil, uh, talking about how we can be in tension. Woo! Come on, somebody. How we can be in tension and live in that tension and still remain civil and examples of, uh, of Jesus. And uh, it's fascinating because if people who love Jesus could get a hold of this peace, if we could live like Jesus even when we don't agree with somebody, come on now, then maybe we could tolerate the news. And maybe we could tolerate our news feeds because people who love Jesus were living like Jesus and forgiven like Jesus and acting like Jesus, and it might change some things. And, uh, and, uh, and so I was really challenged even just this week seeing all of the tension, thinking, God, is there anything better we can be talking about right now than how do we love how do we love people we disagree with? How do we love when we're offended? How do we forgive, come on now, in the midst of, of tension, even when that person isn't sorry? And how do we not carry that? And so we're walking through that. And, and last week, if you were here with us, um, I know it's the summer, so everyone's bouncing around. Some of you are catching up on the podcast. Some of you got a little ways to go. But we were talking about how you can have peace about a relationship, even if there's not peace in the relationship. And you can have peace about the relationship even when there's not peace with the individual because you can't always control whether or not you have peace with somebody. And Paul teaches us in Romans, he says, hey, as much as it's possible with you, live at peace with everyone. Well, what does that mean? That means that sometimes it's not gonna be possible. It also means sometimes it is when you think it may not be. And we talked about how you can have peace about the relationship. And we talked about that one of the keys was having empathy and being able to see things from the other person's point of view. Now, I'm going to have an honest Pastor Mike moment with you, okay? We're all family here. I closed last week talking about some keys to empathy. The keys were don't take any cheap shots. Be careful whose advice you take. Take some time and walk all the way around and communicate the truth in love. It took me less than 24 hours to blow it. Less than 24 hours to blow it last week. I was in tension with somebody the following day. And I'm just going to have an honest moment with you. I took a cheap shot. And I knew at the moment I did it. And my own voice echoing in my ears is a pretty unique thing. And I knew the moment that I let those words go like a cloud into the air that I was wrong. I was too angry in that moment to reel them back in, but I knew I was going to have to come on, take the long walk around to what impact I had just had and recognize that wasn't the way to do it and have to come all the way back over here and repent and apologize and say, you know what? I still think I'm right, but I took a cheap shot. And that's not how I, who I want to be. And that's not what I want to come out of me and out of my heart. And that's not going to get us on a path, come on now, towards reconciliation and restoring our friendship. So I'm sorry I took the cheap shot. You know what that did? It kicked open the door for peace. Kicked open the door for peace. So I'm just telling you that I'm living this as I'm teaching this, and it's okay if you don't get it right on the first time all the time. There's a path towards peace, and we talked about empathy was the path towards peace. And today, we're going to talk about one of the vehicles that takes us along the path, that helps us to move along that path of peace. 
we're going to talk about <clears throat> dealing with forgiveness. And some of you immediately go, I should not have come today. <laughs> I'm not listening to this podcast. I don't want to be here. I don't want to hear that. Whenever we walk into, last year in our life apps, we talked about the forgiveness app. I think it was the least attended Sunday of the year. Everybody knew. We're like, I'm not coming to hear that. <laughs> because forgiveness is hard. And we know intuitively and we know biblically that it requires something of us and we often don't want to open that can of worms because we know it gets messy when it happens. But here's the problem with when we have tension with someone and we don't want to have the conversation about forgiveness. We begin to establish a war and every war has collateral damage. Every war has collateral damage. The person that you are in tension with right now is not the only person affected by the frustrating nature of this thing. And so my question for you is who else? Who else is suffering the consequence of your civil war? Who else? Is it your kids? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it your coworkers? Because you're not the only one suffering the consequences of your civil war. You're not the only one, and they're not the only one. You two may have beef, but that's not the end of the story. There is collateral damage. Why are you talking about collateral damage? Because I'm trying to encourage you that this is an important enough issue that even if you're like, I'm fine with it, somebody else is getting affected. Somebody else is in your orbit. Somebody else is dealing with the stress, right? You're in the room and Andrew's name comes up and you immediately wince and you look over at Kevin, and you're like, oh, is he gonna unload because him and Andrew are in tension? And you're like, oh, right? You've felt that tension before. Somebody else is feeling that tension around you. And here's why. Because civil wars are costly and they're complicated. When you're in tension, when you're in a battle, when you're in an argument, when you're in a fight, it's costing you something and it's messy and it's complicated and you're wrestling through how to do that. My, my civil war this past week, extremely complicated. Layers of pent up stuff getting surfaced. I don't just lead with a cheap shot unless there's something there. Come on, you know that's true. Some of you lead with a cheap shot and we gotta deal with that. Let's counseling, let's schedule an appointment with someone who's good at counseling. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I'm not a great counselor. My job is to speak to people. Counselors can listen. <laughs> Find someone who's a good listener. Tell them why you're taking cheap shots. <laughs> so why are we talking about forgiveness? Because forgiveness moves us toward peace. Forgiveness moves us towards peace. Right now, the mess that you're in has been too costly and it's been too complicated. There's been collateral damage and it's been a mess. And forgiveness is the vehicle that moves us towards peace. We talked about empathy. Empathy was the path, but forgiveness is the vehicle that moves us towards peace. So it's important if we're going to talk about forgiveness that we define it. And during the forgiveness app, we, we defined forgiveness this way. We said forgiveness is the decision to release the person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. Forgiveness is saying, hey, you know what? You did something that affected me and now you owe me. You owe me. But forgiveness is when I say, you know what? Even though you owe me, you don't need to pay that back anymore. 
Forgiveness is I let go of the debt that was incurred when you wronged me. Now, this is an interesting thing for us to get a hold of. Because when we have unforgiveness, it breeds bitterness, and unforgiveness and bitterness are toxic to us. They're toxic to our faith. They're toxic to our life. They're toxic to our relationships. When we're wrestling with unforgiveness and when we've allowed bitterness to get into our heart, they poison everything else. You want to find out how cheap your cheap shots can get? Hold on to some bitterness for a while and let that percolate in your system and see what comes out of the overflow of your heart after that's had time to take root. It's a poison. One, uh, one version of, of that, uh, I heard a quote that said, bitterness or unforgiveness is like rat poison. You take it and hope the rat dies. The only person you're killing is you. And there's a rat out there. I like that version of it because I get to call the other person a rat in that analogy. I was like, ooh, that's good. But it is, it's like rat poison. I bought rat poison and then I took it and I'm wondering why the rat hasn't died. But instead, what's crawled into my heart and my life is poisonous. And it's killing me. And it's not harming them at all. It's just killing me. You see, I want to talk about forgiveness for just a moment here and the baggage that it creates. But I'm going to give you a little uh, illustration that I haven't fully tested. So let's see how it works. Pastor Andrew, would you stand up here? I'm going to have you come up here and just get up on the stage. Pastor Andrew, you and I are going to have beef. Let me pick a reason. You have too much hair. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And you and I are done. That's the end, right? Now, <laughs> stay with me, guys. <laughs> Somewhere that's going to be on the podcast, and people are like, what? <laughs> so I'm going to, will you just take this, wrap it around yourself? Awesome. So Andrew and I are connected in relationship right now, right? And this is our lives, and your life is a series of connections. You're connected, you're connected. Andrew's connected to Jeff and connected. And we're, we're just this spider web of relationship. And when we get tension between us, it puts weight and baggage on our relationship. And that weight looks a little something like this. Let's see if we can hold enough tension on that to hold that up. And that tension is now between me and Andrew. Everybody can kind of see that? Some of you have had baggage in your relationships that you've gotten so used to carrying, you don't even feel the weight of it anymore, but you don't realize the strain it's putting on the web of relationships everywhere you go. And there's baggage and weight in that relationship, and we haven't dealt with it. Because Andrew said, I didn't have enough hair, and now my feelings are hurt. And I'm mad at him because he has too much hair. Whatever, you pick the reason, right? I picked a silly one so we can laugh at me for a little bit here, not Andrew. But this is what life's like when we've got unforgiveness hanging out there. It's like we've got baggage. We've got weight. We're home because we're still connected to the person, but we're connected to this baggage now as well. And it's maddening and it's frustrating. And what forgiveness does for us is it allows us to let go of this line that's holding the weight. And we could say, you know what, Andrew, I forgive you. And Andrew's like, I don't care, you still don't have any hair, right? He's still mad. <laughs> Something happens, and suddenly I go, hey, I'm not going to carry that anymore. I'm going to stay connected at whatever level of life we have, but I've released the part of the rope that has the weight. You see, forgiveness, forgiveness 
is setting the person free, the prisoner free, and realizing that the prisoner was you. And let me just say this. When you forgive, you won't get left holding the bag. And when you don't forgive, you end up holding the bag. Thanks, Andrew. You can put that down. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and then realizing that the prisoner was you. So Paul says it this way uh, in Romans 12 and kind of our whole series. Thanks for cleaning it up. See, Andrew's such a stud, such a sweet, sweet guy. No one would be mad at him, even if he does make fun of me for being bald, um, which he doesn't. <laughs> for, but yeah, now he has permission to because it's on the podcast, right? So Romans chapter 12, uh, our whole passage is kind of ripped from this idea here. When Paul says, uh, verse 18, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, mine, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, you've heard this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals upon his head. In doing this, you'll leave him holding the bag. When you find a way, come on now, to release that connected weight and say, I forgive you, you've left them holding the bag. So I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if you've heard this story or not. It's not one of the most popular stories in the scriptures. Um, but we were walking through David's life last week. And I'm going to fast forward to much later in his life. And I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. David's been king for a long time. He's got adult children. And one of those adult children is a boy named Absalom. And Absalom wants to be the next king. Pops is getting old and he's like, hey, it's my turn to sit on the throne, and if I don't do something, it's never going to happen for me. So Absalom comes up with a strategy and creates a civil war between him and his father. And his strategy looks a little something like this. People come to the king in order to get advice and to get uh, uh, justice and to get the kind of thing that they need from the king. Hey, I'm, I'm in a tough situation. I need help from the king. And what Absalom would do was he would sit out by the city gates and he wouldn't let people get into the king. And then he'd say, man, it's too bad I'm not the king because if I was the king, I'd hear your problem. And I'd totally vote for you. I'd totally be on your side. And he just begun to win the heart of people who came seeking the advice of the king and undermining the authority of his father. There was some civil war starting to bubble. Why? Because he felt entitled to something that he wanted from his dad. So then he goes and manipulates his dad and says, hey, let me go to this other town because I made a vow before God that I'd worship God in, in Hebron. And his dad's like, yeah, go ahead. And he brings this contingency who have now become advocates for him to replace his dad to this town in Hebron. And he gets there. And when he gets there, he has them declare, we now want Absalom to be our king. So word of this gets to David and his heart is just broken. Tension and weight has got on the line. And Absalom and his contingency and his, uh, his uh, entourage and has now become almost an army begins to march back to Jerusalem towards his dad. And his dad's heartbroken, crestfallen, doesn't want to fight him. So he takes his household and his closest men and he flees the palace. He leaves behind 10 of his household concubines to kind of manage things. And they leave Jerusalem and they go north. And they're marching and it's a sad March of just, it's the lowest of the low. He's in tension. He's got a rift in the family. There's a civil war essentially that's happened. It is so difficult for him. 
and he, he's climbing a mountain. And I, I, if you've seen the landscape, it's desolate kind of area on the backside of this mountain. He's walking through these craggy cliffs. There's about 600 people that are kind of in his entourage and, and they're looking at him kind of like, come on, man. Like you're the king and you're dejected and you're running from your son and this is a low moment and he's got his wives and his other kids with him. And as he's doing that, verse five, 2 Samuel 16, verse five, he approaches a, a, a city called Bahurim. And a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out to him from there. Now remember last week, Saul was the king before David. Saul's now passed away. David has been the king for a long time. And someone from Saul's family comes out from there. His name is hard to say. It's either Shmai or Shmei. But I've been calling him Shimia in my head for like two weeks. So that's what we're rolling with today. <laughs> but I did look up the pronunciation and decided now I'm way more comfortable with Shimia. And there's like a little shimmy in there. And I like that. I can remember it. And his name is Shimea, son of Gera. And listen to this. He cursed as he came out. They're on the side of a hill. They're marching. They're kind of in a single file kind of set up. There's a dejection. And out comes Shimea. And Shimea walks out on the side of the hill. And he's like, hey. I can't pick a good curse to say right now. I hope bad things happen to you. There you go. <laughs> hey, you guys are awful. Hey, go Niners. No, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> right? Hey, easy. <laughs> easy. Verse six. <laughs> Look at what he does. It says, he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and special guard were on David's right and left. David's walking with his household special troops. Think about the kind of special crazy it has to be to go out on the side of a hill and you see someone that you've had a civil war with. Think about how unhealthy things have gotten in your heart when you see him and he's rolling five, 600 deep and it's just you and you see him. And not only do you see him five, 600 deep, he's having a bad day. He's having an awful time and you've heard word that his son is trying to overthrow him. He's in a low spot. How is it that the haters always seem to catch us when we're at our worst? If the haters caught us when we were at our best, we just shake the dust off our shoulders. But they seem to catch us when we're at our worst, when we're dejected, when we're frustrated, when we had a bad day, when we were late to work, when we were having a problem and something happened and a car issue happened and we show up at work and was like, hey, you're late again. And we're like, you know what? I'll just choke you. You don't know the day I had. My kid threw up three times and then, you know, whatever it was. And we're in chaos and here comes the hater. And Shimmy is, see, that's why I like Shimmy. He's out there strutting. And he's like, you're awful. Your son wants to kill you. You're nothing. And then he throws rocks, starts throwing stones and kicking dirt in the air. As he cursed, Shimea said, get out, get out, you man of blood. Some versions say you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul in whose place you have reigned. 
The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom and you have come to ruin because you're a man of blood. Whoo! This is David, I slay Goliath. This is David, you've killed your thousands, I've killed my tens of thousands, the girl's saying. This is a man with some swagger and some pride who probably could accurately pick one of those rocks up, put it in a sling and ping, take this fool out. This is also unfair. We talked last week, David didn't want Saul's blood. He didn't actually go and do the thing that Shimei is really accusing him of. Yes, he's reigning in Saul's place, but God appointed him to that position. As a matter of fact, if David did what cultural customs would have said was okay at that time, he'd have wiped out anyone who was remotely related to Saul when he took the throne to make sure he had no rivals. The fact that Shimei is alive at all is a testimony to David's actual mercy and his sense of justice and love for Saul. But here's Shimeon, and in his perspective, come on now, he's carrying a weight saying, this is my family's positional authority that you've inherited. My family's suffered loss. If you don't walk around to his side, it's very easy to say, what is this knucklehead doing? But he is in a tough spot. And David looks up at this guy. He's already frustrated. He's already depressed. He hears a ring of truth. Isn't, it the, isn't the best hate always have a ring of truth to it. You know it's not the whole truth, but it's got a ring of truth to it. You're late again. Well, yes, I was late 13 times ago. And the reason I was late is my kid was throwing up or whatever, but now, yep, there's a, right? The best hate has a little ring to it. And he's ringing some hate out on him. Verse nine says, then Abishai, son of Zariah, says to the king, one of David's mighty men basically says, um, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Isn't that odd? Isn't the Bible amazing? This guy pokes, pokes David and was like, dude, why should this dead dog curse my lord and king? Let me go over there and cut off his head. Remember, remember we talked about being careful whose advice you take last week when you're in a war, when you're in tension, <laughs> and some of you know this person. Some of you intentionally put this person in your life that the moment Andrew says something, they're climbing over your shoulder saying, oh, nobody talks about my friend like that. I will put them down. Those are good friends. They're loyal. But they're not necessarily helpful when we're trying to resolve some tension. It's probably not the voice you want to listen to, but they're good friends and they're loyal. And here's uh, uh, Abishai and he's like, dude, let me go over there and just cut off his head nonchalantly. Verse 10, <laughs> but the king said, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? He's talking to Abishai. What if he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David? Who can ask, why do you do this? Now that's one way to look at it. Can you imagine you're having the worst tension already and somebody comes in and takes a cheap shot and you're enlightened enough to say, maybe God's trying to teach me something. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I don't think I could do this part very easily. This part is not instinctive. It's gonna require a little bit of help and we're gonna talk about the help that you need to do this part. But David paints a picture of in the midst of tension, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of someone hating on him, saying, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, 
somewhere in the middle of this fight, I could hear God's voice coming through. Just because the haters hate doesn't mean God isn't trying to get your attention. And what he said isn't true, but had a ring of truth. And God is trying to get David's attention. So he leaves him alone. This would be crazy, crazy, except for Jesus essentially encouraged us to do the same thing. Remember in the end of the first wave of the Beatitudes in Matthew, he's talked all about how blessed are peacemakers and blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek. And then suddenly he says, blessed are you when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of things about you because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great, or so, they, uh, so they persecuted the prophets who went before you and great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5, like 11, 12, somewhere in there. What are you talking about? Jesus basically said, this is the model we're supposed to take. So here's David, a man after God's own heart, in the midst of tension, the haters are hating. And he's like, maybe God's gonna use this to my benefit. And I'm thinking, no, that's crazy. And then I'm thinking, wait a second, Jesus said something about this. (laughs) Jesus said, the haters are gonna hate. The more you try to live for me, the more you try to represent me, the more voices that are gonna come and say things about you, twist things about you, persecute you, say wrong things about you. Because you're trying to do it the right way, you're gonna stand out. And they're gonna manipulate and twist their words in order to try to offend you. When that happens, your your response should be, nice, you're racking up treasure for me in heaven. Now, that's not instinctive. That's going to require some help. I'm going to talk about how we get help to do that in just a minute. Don't worry, I'm not leaving you there. Verse 13, we're almost done with the the story here, and then I'll I'll land us. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimea was going along the hillside opposite them, cursing as he went and throwing stones and showering him with dirt. And the king and all the people arrived at their destination exhausted. And then he refreshed himself. Literally, he was having to shake off the haters. Dust (laughs) flown onto his shoulders. He's shaking it off. Now, here's something that's fascinating. It's not the end of the story. We're going to talk all the way through the end of the story, Shimea. If you jump ahead to 2 Samuel 19, 18, we see Shimea again. David's resolved the tension, but listen what happens here. When Shimea, son of Gera, crosses the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, "May may may my Lord not hold me guilty. Are you serious? David has managed to survive the storm. He's going to remain in power. So the hater shows up and is like, bro, are we cool? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Now is the time to take off his head. The insult of, at least be a man and stick with your insults, Shimia. At least stick over there, right? But he comes to him and he apologizes and says, "May may may my Lord not hold me guilty. Don't remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem. May the king just put it out of his mind. Put it out of my mind. You followed me along the path in front of my family, in front of my wife, in front of my closest soldiers, my toughest guys who respect me. And you threw dirt and rocks at me. And you cursed me. Said I was a murderer and getting what I deserved. Verse 20. For I, for, not, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned, but today I've come here as the first of the whole house of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord and my king. Then Abishai, remember, 
our buddy, son of Zariah, says, um, shouldn't Shimea be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. Back to that advice, right? People will give you advice. That sounds pretty good if that's what you want to hear. Shouldn't you just fire this guy? Shouldn't you just turn him in? Shouldn't you just sue? Shouldn't you just go straight to the worst case scenario, punish them? Just punch them in the face. Take the shot. Just do it. I'll back you up. I'll say they swung first. David replied, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? This day you've become my adversaries. He's like, hey, you're getting on the wrong side of me. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? He's like, haven't I been restored? So the king said to Shimea, you shall not die. And the king promised it to him on an oath. What? He's saying, didn't God use this tough season to reestablish my authority and put me back in the position that I'm supposed to be in? Hasn't the end of the story produced the life that it needed to produce? Why do I have to be petty and go back and hurt this person in order to move forward? Why do I have to be petty? Why do I have to hurt them behind me before I can move forward? So he says, that's not how I'm gonna play this. David's perspective was to forgive him. You know, what's interesting is I kept reading this and I kept saying, I just can't. I, can't. I see that he did it, but I'm having a hard time, God. And if I put myself, because I'm gonna put myself in the story, God, I don't know how you are. I read the story and I'm like, listen, if I'm in a battle with my kid, I'm already feeling the worst. If he's literally trying to overthrow me, I'm already at my lowest moment. And if you're just some guy pestering me in that moment, what comes out of me is probably not going to be pretty. God, how in the world? And then you come back and apologize only after I'm successful? Just to make sure you get off my bad list now that I'm powerful again? I'm way too manipulative to let that just slide like that. Come on. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid that that might be seen as weakness or like a tacit endorsement of your behavior. And I don't want you to do that again. And if I forgive you, you might just do it again. So fear swells up in me. Some of you, the biggest reason that you can't forgive is you're afraid. You're afraid of the message it would send if you did forgive. That somehow what happened was okay. That somehow you're not as strong. You're not strong enough to hold on to the anger and the frustration. That somehow it represents weakness. I feel the same emotions. So I was wrestling and I was looking through the word and I'm like, Jesus, help me figure this piece out. I know you talk about forgiveness a lot. So I'm gonna fast forward us to Jesus telling us how to do it in Luke chapter 17. And it's funny because I read a lot of the Bible and I read a lot of Jesus's words and I think somehow I've read Luke 17 a bunch of times and not spent any time listening. <laughs> Ever do that? Luke chapter 17, just the first few verses here. I'm going to read to you from the New King James because I like the language. The, the words can kind of go a couple different ways, but I like the language of the King James, and I just couldn't bring myself to ring the King James, so I went with the New King James because I'm just under 40 still. <laughs> Some of you King James people are just like, stab him. That's what we do. I like the language and the way it's phrased. It says, then he said to the disciples, listen to this. This is Luke chapter 17. Have you seen this? It is impossible that no offenses should come. Think about that for just a second. 
Jesus tells the followers of Jesus that it is impossible that you will not experience offense. You are gonna go through some civil wars. Some of you have been praying that there just would be no more offense. That's not gonna be possible. How do I know that's not gonna be possible? Because Jesus said that was impossible. And it's in black and white. He says it's impossible that no offenses should come. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, sweet, I offend everybody. I'm pro at this. Spend five minutes with me and some offense is probably going to come out. Can't do anything about it. It's impossible. Let me just read the rest of the verse. (laughs) But woe to him through whom they do come. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not granting my permission for you to go be offensive for the sake of offense. And you don't represent me when you just shoot out and run your mouth and do the thing that Shimia did and start chucking rocks and taking shots at people that have got onto your bad side. That's not the goal. But he says, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna experience offense. Some of you just needed to hear the second part of that, write that down, and that's good enough for you. (laughs) You don't have permission to just go out and be offensive for the sake of offending. That's not the goal. But he says, it's impossible. It's not reasonable to to expect no offense, no difficulties, no hardships. You are going to face some, and since you're going to face some, you might as well have the tools in place to know what to do when it happens. So Jesus says, hey, that's impossible. Then he says, woe to that person through who they do come. And he says, it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Now, we always think that he's talking about babies and kids there. But the truth is, he's just with the disciples in this moment. And he's talking about the people that he loves. And he's saying, hey, you offenders. That's not the way you want to live your life. Because there's going to be consequence to this. Remember earlier we talked about, do we trust the Lord? The Lord uh, is the one who repays. And vengeance is the Lord. We ran through that verse pretty quickly. And Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, woe to the offender. Some of you are having a hard time even even breaking into this conversation about forgiveness because you're so concerned about justice for the offender. And when I say, well, that person gets left holding the bag, you're like, I want more than the bag. bag has to be full of rocks and he's got to be kicked into deep water. And Jesus is like, okay, that's a good analogy. I'll roll with that. (laughs) Because that's the picture he paints here. And it's not when someone offends the Lord's anointed. I know we're comfortable with that tension saying, watch out, don't offend the Lord's anointed. That guy that's up front, don't go after him because God will smite you. This is about the little ones, the least of these. Everybody whom Jesus loves. He says, don't do that. Verse three, he says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, check this out. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Do you know how powerful that sentence is right there? Your brother sins against you. Jeff gets on me, makes a mistake. Rebuke him. Not take it, not endorse it not permit it, not allow it, rebuke him. Hey, stop doing that. That didn't work for me. Rebuke him. And if he repents, oh, I'm sorry, that didn't work for you. I didn't mean to do that. Forgive him. Cool. We're awesome. That's the pattern. He says, if that happens, forgive him. Verse four, and if he sins against you seven times, uh uh-oh, here's where it comes off the rails for me. Seven times in a day, 
seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Okay, hold on. I got to sit down for this. So you're saying, Jesus, that if Andrew punks me and I tell him, knock it off, and he says, I'm sorry, I got to forgive him. I'm good with that. And then he comes back and does it again. And I'm like, dude, bro, knock it off. I'm broing him up a little bit because this is relational. And he goes, oh, dude, my bad. I got to forgive him. And he does it a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time and a seventh time. I still got to forgive. Now, at eight, am I off the hook? I don't think that's the principle here at all. <laughs> he is saying no matter what the pattern of behavior is, the process of addressing that is confront, rebuke, and if there's repentance, you forgive. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a hard thing for me to do that. But that's what Shimei experienced. He went and repented. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about how to have that talk, how to deal with that. So, no, not next week. Next week, we're gonna make the community better. It's gonna be amazing. Two weeks, two weeks, we're gonna talk about how to have that talk. Because some of you are like, I don't even know how to have that talk. And we're going to have that talk. And we're going to talk about confronting. Because I, I got to, I was wrestling with about even to talk about this. And I, time is going to get away from me. But I get, can I teach for just a second here or something that might make you uncomfortable? And then we'll talk about it in two weeks. And you have to come back in two weeks and get there. But can I just say something? Jesus is okay with the anger that results when we're offended. He's not asking us to be soft. He's okay with rising up and rebuking something that's wrong. And sometimes the church gets this mixed, mixed up. Either we go too angry and we just unleash an unhealthy kind of thing, or we feel like we can't get angry at all. So someone comes in to rob your house and it's like, oh, let me help you carry my stuff to your car. Thanks. Right. And you're loading the car for them. Like you don't have permission to stand up for yourself because I'm a good Christian. No, 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 no. That is not what the scriptures describe. That is not who Jesus was and it's never what he asked of us. He says, hey, someone comes in and offends you. You deal, you rebuke. And we're gonna talk about how to have that conversation in a way. And, and listen, it's impossible for us to, to, to say that somehow anger is sin because we know that the scriptures tell us to be angry, but don't sin. So it can happen. We also know that we see a picture of God getting angry and we know he doesn't sin. We see Jesus get angry and we know he doesn't sin. So anger in itself is not the sin. Now, some of you have, have, have unhealthy pictures of anger and you can't get angry without sinning. And that's a whole nother thing. But anger is good. I was designed to experience, I'm in the image of God and God gets angry. You know why anger is good? Because anger puts some fire in my belly to stand up to injustice. Anger is what gets me to give my voice out there and say, hey, that is not okay. Don't do that, stop. Anger gives me the passion I need to do that so that I don't have to stay parentally a victim and I can even stand up for other victims and be a part of, of something bigger. Anger moves me and motivates me to do that. Anger is not a sin. Rebuking someone is not a sin. Standing up for yourself is not a sin. Jesus is clear that that's okay. You're like, well, David was cool with him. Ah, you better read the end of the story. At the end of David's life, I won't go there. I'm, I'm, I'm pressed on time. At the end of David's life, Solomon takes over the kingdom and, and he's giving Solomon advice. 
He's like, hey, hey can you know, do this well, do this right? He's passing it on. He goes, oh, and that guy, Shimia. That rascal's still alive. Watch out for him because you know what he did. Have a boundary with him. So Solomon pulls Shimia in and says, listen, here's your boundary. You go to a city of refuge and stay there and you're safe. But you leave the city of refuge, that's my mercy. You leave that place where you're safe and it's fair game open season on Shimia. Consequences of your behavior. Shimia's like, oh, I'll go to city of refuge. He gets bored there, leaves. Guess what happens to him? Justice. Millstone tossed in the water, essentially. Why? Because God's just. And having a little anger at unjustness is okay. It causes us to deal with that. So how do we actually do it? Verse five, because the disciples can't figure it out. This is, um, this is so good. I wish I had just more time because we'll go here more, but listen. It says, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, every other time that I could find this ask for increased faith always had to do that God would do a miracle, that God would heal, that God would restore, right? And Jesus has just said, you've got to learn how to be in relationship with people who offend you because offenses are going to come and it's unavoidable. And in those offenses, you have to be the person who confronts, tells the truth, and then when they repent, you forgive them every time. And the disciples are like, that's going to take a miracle. And it is a miracle. Forgiveness is a faith exercise, guys. It's a faith exercise. And here's, so often I'm talking with people who cannot process forgiveness. They're like, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but how do I forgive? How do I actually do it? And the problem is they've disassociated the act of forgiveness from their faith. They think forgiveness is like a contract that you have to, once the contract and the, and the terms of the contracts are fulfilled, then it's forgiveness is like a transaction that's happened. Or they think that forgiveness is an emotion that I don't feel like I've forgiven them, so I haven't forgiven them. To which I say, okay, do you feel like you love your spouse every day? But you know you love them. Do you feel like you love your kids every day? Feel like, is, is love like a feel? Why, how do you know the difference? Because you can't be ruled by your feelings. And somehow we lump forgiveness into a feeling, an emotional feeling. And Jesus is saying, the disciples are saying, Jesus is saying, you have to do this. And the disciples are saying, that's gonna take a lot of faith. Yes, it's gonna take a lot of faith. People who love Jesus are gonna have to believe Jesus when he says this is possible. And they're gonna have to believe, because what's faith? Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he's gonna do. That's what faith is. So the disciples say, hey, increase our faith. And then Jesus says something incredible, verse six, because you don't know this verse. Here's how I know you don't know this verse, because I'm about to say, if you have faith as a mustard seed and you're in your head already saying, throw this mountain into the sea. But that's not what he says here. He says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, wait, what? That's not how I remembered that from when I was a kid. There was a picture of a mountain, there was a sea, and there was a little thing that was this big that was a mustard seed, right? And that's in the scriptures and that's there. But that's not what Jesus talks about when he's talking about forgiveness. He says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, because faith is gonna be an ingredient, he's talking about forgiveness. He's saying, you can say to this tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, why a tree? A tree's a hard thing for me to get my mind around. 
Because let's be honest, do I really need a tree? Do I really need faith to get a tree out of my property? Right? I need Justin. He gets trees out of my property, right? He could do it. I just need a guy who knows what he's doing and I can get a tree out of my property. A tree is something you can move on your own. Moving a mountain takes some help. It takes some faith, especially back in the day before they had dynamite. Moving a a mountain was a massive exercise of faith. But how much faith do I need to move a tree? I'm going to come home with you right now. I'm teaching right now, so stay with me, okay? Because he says it could get pulled up by the roots. Here's the thing. Unforgiveness, bitterness, frustration is a root that wants to get into your heart and into your life. And Jesus is saying, it's gonna take faith to not, come on now, let that root take place in your heart and in your life and to pull that thing out and to cast that thing into the sea. The only way you're gonna do it is with a little bit of faith. And some of you have not been able to get past the forgiveness thing because there is a root that has taken place in your heart when when you got offended and you have convinced yourself that there's no forgiveness unless a mountain moves, but it's not a mountain that needs to move, it's a root that needs to come out of your heart and out of your life that has been held into your life. And Jesus says it's gonna take a little bit of faith. Now, how do I know that Jesus modeled this. I'm going to bring my team up. We're going to end with communion in just a second because I was thinking about this and let's bring the whole thing home here. So Jesus says, you're going to have to forgive. 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 You're going to forgive. And then Jesus on the night he was betrayed takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which is for you. And then he prays and then he's arrested and then he's beaten and then they pelt him with a cat of nine tails and they rip the flesh off his back. And then they, 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 they brutalize him with a, with a baton and then they put the cross on his back and they make him march until he collapses and then they hang him on this cross. And you know what he's worried about? What comes out of his mouth when he's up there? Forgiveness. He's going to forgive. Why? Because he can't let that root get into his heart. And he wants to make sure that the picture he leaves us with is him leaving the earth without any baggage. And that it's possible for you to live without that baggage. Did they ask for forgiveness? No but he released the debt and he was set free. He was about to have a new whole body and he didn't want this old body to go into the ground. Come on now, before it was raised again with any root in there. So for some of us today, we just got to deal with the root. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have these guys, would you guys go ahead and pass? And we're gonna, we're gonna sing and we're gonna, we're gonna take communion and, and kind of close. And here's all I want from you. Is there some root? that's taken place in your life because you haven't been able to forgive whatever that thing is. I know I flew through that, but I'm hoping that you're with me. Has something taken hold that you need to deal with? And if it has, before you take communion, I wanna invite you to just have an honest conversation with God and then just remember that he modeled for us that it is possible 
to forgive. Now, some of you are like, there's still stuff. I got to deal with this whole, how do I confront peace? Two weeks, come back. We're going to do that. We're going to talk. We're not done. But it is possible for you to let go of whatever the thing is with just this much faith to rip the root out of there and say, I release that debt. Don't get stuck holding the bag. Don't get stuck holding the bag. I don't want that for you. So here's what we're gonna do. If you have your communion elements, would you stand? <clears throat> and if you, if you haven't, that's okay. That's, that's coming around. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song. It's Jesus paid it all. And I just want you to have a conversation with God as we sing about wherever the root has taken place. And I want you <laughs> to just ask for a measure of faith this big. And say, God, I may not feel it emotionally, I may not be able to rationalize it completely, but I understand the principle that you've asked me to forgive and whatever I can do to forgive, I just want to forgive them. And when you've done that, I want you just as, as a response to recognizing what Jesus accomplished so that you could do that. Just take the communion, take the bread, take the juice and continue to worship. And then I'll close this in just a moment. God, in this moment, I pray you begin to just penetrate hearts, open minds, release chains, release baggage, drain out the poison and allow us to just move to a place where we can do what your words called us to do and release it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you lift your voice?